the book of Mark, you'd be aware of this, and we started just this month, and we're going to be talking in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 today. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to read that together. I'm going to talk about a subject that really is quite, quite talked about today, today's world. We're quite aware of it. But let's read this passage together as we think about the topic of authority today. Verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, Jesus and his recently deputized disciples, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority. And they were astonished at it. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man who had an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do we have? Do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew and with James and John. Now Simon, or as we understand later, is called Peter. As they, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by the demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray. Lord, I am very aware this day that what I say can be lost, can be not said well. Father, what I have even prepared today, Lord, I'm not trusting in that. The only trust and hope that I have today, Lord, is that you, by your Holy Spirit, will come and move on the words of Scripture and penetrate our hearts, and open our minds and hearts to the truth of your word. Let us hear it, let us understand it, let us be changed by it, I pray in Jesus' name. We're talking about, we're going to be talking about authority today, because that's one of the main points of this passage. Twice in this passage, the word we're drawn, our attention is drawn to the authority of Jesus. Now, we live in a world that 
We observe around us all the time authority being used in many different ways. And oftentimes, that authority is not used well. We all have experienced being under authority where it was used poorly, badly, or even maliciously against us. And in our day and age right now, we see quite, quite the exercise of authority in so many different ways And it has a profound effect on our lives. What we see here in this passage and what our attention is being drawn to is that there is a man with authority. And this authority, when Jesus comes with authority, we see something happen as a result of that. And to summarize what I'm saying here today is that when Jesus comes with authority, the supernatural becomes natural. When he walks in the room, things happen. In Mark's version, as you heard the last weeks, Mark's version, this, we see going, Jesus, we see him going from being affirmed by John to being baptized, to being filled with the Spirit, being thrust into the wilderness. He's experiencing temptation and testing. He's beginning his preaching. He's calling his disciples, and now the commencement of his ministry here, and it's all happening in just a few short verses. The other Gospels give you quite a bit of background, a lot of things happening, but Mark is doing this on purpose, and he does this uh, to get our attention. He uses the word immediately five times in those first few verses, and this is standard with Mark. Mark, throughout the book, you'll hear him using this word immediately, and he's doing it to kind of keep us the pace moving and, and keep the kind of the, the tension going ahead and moving ahead. And he's constantly saying this. And we get this sense of the constant present tense going on. He's just walked in. Jesus now has just walked in to the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum is a, uh, a city that's right on the north shore of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum was a place that Jesus did a substantial number of miracles here. In fact, it's a place where Jesus rebukes Capernaum because he said, hey, if the miracles done in you, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago, he says in Matthew chapter 11. It's just one of these places where there seems to be a deadness and, and an inability for belief to be stirred up in people's hearts. And yet this is where Jesus begins his ministry. And his ministry display is a powerful one at that. Now, in this passage that I just read, we see three more times this word immediately is used. Again, to keep that momentum going forward for us to have this sense that we're in the middle of the story. So I want you to feel that to some degree, if you can today, this fact that you're there. You remember that? I don't know if you know, never mind. You probably don't remember it. But back when I was young, we had a a program called You Are There. And then they would take you on the program and you would be a part of this story. And this is what's happening here. He's like, Mark's saying this in a way to say, okay, you're there. Picture this. Imagine this. You're there. You're a a part of this thing. So it's kind of a a day in the life of Jesus. And the word authority is used twice, as I said. Greek word exousia. And and it it just it's a a word that describes this this inner power, this governing authority that one has. 
And I believe Mark is highlighting this in Jesus' life today. So I want to talk about three things. First of all, Jesus declared authority. Secondly, Jesus demonstrated authority. And finally, Jesus deserved authority. So let's look first of all at the de declared authority. What we see in this passage just before the one that we've read here, we see in verse 18 and 19, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and declaring and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now keep in mind, we don't really know at this point what the gospel is. He's saying, I'm proclaiming good news, but the cross is three years away. It's not, a, not happening anytime real soon. And so what is the gospel that he's talking about here? What is happening? Well, to give you, first, let's get some context for what Jesus is doing here. As I said, he's in Capernaum and he's walked into the synagogue to preach this message of the kingdom. In the, and in the synagogue, he goes directly to the place where the word of God should be held in the highest honor. This is the place, the synagogue where God's Word should be held in the highest honor. And he begins to share. Now, synagogues were places where the Jews had to establish a synagogue if there was at least 10 families present in an area. And then they were required to establish a synagogue. Synagogue had leaders that administrated it, uh, but they didn't have regular preachers. They just took people that came in and the ruler of the synagogue would appoint somebody to share that day. And that's the picture we have here. Jesus is walking into the synagogue and somehow the ruler, whether he knew he was coming or just saw him and sensed something there, he just says, you want to speak today? And Jesus begins to share. This, this is the context of what's going on. And people have never experienced anything like this before, as you see it. Normally, they're used to the scribes. So the, the guys that would typically speak would be guys that they called the scribes. And the scribes would be the guys that took the Torah and they kind of broke it down into regulations for everyday life, every rules for every detail of life. You can imagine how exciting that was. You know, just sitting there talking about rules for your life today. And the 10 things you must do today to be a righteous Jew or whatever the case. And this is the, what they're used to. Jesus walks in and he is exercising something quite different. Because before anything of a supernatural sense happens, they're saying, what is this teaching given with such authority? This is, this is amazing teaching. What is this? Well, he's not talking about details of the law. He's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom is coming. God is doing something. He's doing something clearly different. And he spoke it in a way that it was obviously different to them. They recognized authority. It was obvious. He was declaring in reality this precursor to the full-fledged good news that the effects of the fall were being overcome and that God was establishing his kingdom now in its final form. This is the beginning of something that's going to usher in the kingdom of God and it's beginning in this moment with the reality that he is now going to start overcoming all the powers of authorities out there and establish his own kingdom. That was God's intention from the beginning, to send his son to purchase for himself a kingdom of people whose hearts would be his forever through the power of the cross. 
This was the gospel, the good news. But the cross hadn't happened yet. And in its earlier form, this is what was going on. God was at work to undo all that had been lost in the fall. The incarnation itself. I mean, we just, you know, we celebrate Christmas and we, we fail. I think it's so familiar to us. We fail to grasp the reality of the incarnation and what God was doing, this, this act of bringing His Son, choosing and electing His Son to come. And this, even the incarnation, is an, an act of God's electing grace. God is proclaiming the, the kingdom even in the incarnation of Christ. In his institutes, John Calvin calls it a mirror into God's grace. It was done without any regard to human effort or merit. The kingdom is being declared, even with Jesus' physical presence as the Messiah, saying, I am God's elect, to tell you there, it's only by grace, only by what God is doing, and He is restoring His kingdom. This is the good news that Jesus is bringing at the moment. He's bringing this proclamation of His victory over Satan, over sin, and over sickness. And we see also this authority being manifest in the way he did it. The, man is, the, the way he brought this teaching, it's demonstrated in his phrase on the Sermon of the Mount. He uses this phrase in the Sermon of the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you. That's just a common phrase that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Jesus' way of saying, I'm not referring to some other teacher. I am quoting to you the words of my Father, your God in heaven. Now, again, so you, you don't have to wonder why they're thinking, well, that's, that sounds kind of authoritative. He's not just coming in here as a visiting scribe. This guy's coming in and he's speaking with power. He's saying, I have authority. I'm bringing the very words of God. You've heard it said, but here's what I'm telling you. Now, that would bring some attention to people and cause their attention to be focused on what he's saying. And they sensed that authority in him. It was inherent in what he was. He's preaching this good news of the kingdom, and it comes with a profound sense of his own godness, if I can say it that way. There's something demonstrably different in the way he declared the gospel of the kingdom. But secondly, we see that he demonstrated kingdom authority. He demonstrated authority. So we observe now there's an immediate outflow and beginning of the supernatural that takes place. Up to this point, he's been declaring, he's been teaching. The authority is obvious. They're seeing it. They're responding to it. And now all of a sudden, we see the supernatural becoming a normal part of his experience and a normal part of the rest of his ministry. So what we see this happening is, again, that word immediately. Immediately, a demon-possessed man enters into the scene. Well, he's been sitting there in the synagogue, and he confronts Jesus as he's in the synagogue. Immediately, there is a conflict of kingdoms. Kingdoms are coming in conflict with each other almost immediately. The demons here, and they recognize Jesus. They recognize His authority. And His teaching, you have to understand this, Jesus' teaching doesn't produce harmony. 
It's not peace, love, and joy at this point. Jesus' teaching produces conflict. Kingdoms come into conflict. Satan himself is aware. Demons are aware. This man is the Holy One of God. That's an awesome thing to realize. As Jesus stands there, the demons themselves are crying out, You are the Holy One of God. Now, on a bit of a side note, it's important for us to understand today that Jesus' teaching and biblical truth will not necessarily produce harmony, but conflict. If you were, if you were thinking that getting into the kingdom just kind of left you in a position to go to school and go to the local university, and you're just going to waltz in there, and, and it's all going to be peace, love, and joy because you love Jesus, I got news for you. Our culture and those in authority in our culture do not respect the Word of God. They do not respect in the way you understand Scripture and the way Scripture is written. It's not respected in our culture today. And so you bring that Word and you bring that truth and you're asking for conflict. You're walking right into the midst of conflict. So I'm just saying that to say you better hope you've got someone in authority in your corner. You better hope you've got the one in authority in your corner. Jesus said we're at war with the world. You remember what he said? The world will love you and throw you kisses. <laughs> Not quite. He said the world will hate you. That's strong language. Well, this demon-possessed man is an unwilling witness to the person who works in Christ. In fact, you find it a little bit strange that this guy's in the synagogue. Isn't it interesting to note that here you are in the synagogue worshiping, and while you're there doing your Jewish worship, there's a demon-possessed man there, and nobody even knows it, nobody even gets it. Unaware that that's what's going on right there in the synagogue, right there in the church. Yet Jesus walks in, and suddenly the conflict explodes into being. He's confronted. Well, welcome to our world and culture, folks. Welcome to the reality of what we face daily. Sin, in its most detestable forms, are regarded and accepted as normal. Have you found yourself reading the newspaper or doing something online or reading something online and found yourself thinking, has the world gone crazy? I mean, seriously, are they really thinking that what I am hearing on this television program or on this Facebook post, that this is reality? They really believe these things? It's, it's incredible. You find, you find yourself thinking common sense. I mean, <laughs> you don't even necessarily think from a biblical standpoint, it's wrong. You just find yourself thinking from a sheer common sense standpoint, it makes no sense. And yet, that's the world. And that's the world where the conflict comes, when the truth comes, when Jesus, as authority, walks into the room. The demons, they know who He is. And there's a conflict and Jesus overwhelmingly puts Satan in his place with a word. They know who he is. They call him the Holy One. 
And they know, notice that he says, they come with, Jesus comes with authority to destroy them. They're very aware of it. And Jesus overwhelms them. They know it and they get it. It's stark, amazing testimony to the authority that Jesus has over Satan. To turn over Satan's destructive plan and to restore God's purpose. Again, that's the kingdom. That's the message of the kingdom. That is the gospel that we will see fully displayed on the cross. We ultimately see that this authority elicits fear and portends destruction to the satanic beings. But this same authority elicits hope and health to the sick and the needy and the demon-possessed. One man, McKenna, said in his commentary, the same authority that aggravates demons awakens hope in the helpless. People are bound. People are blind. They can't see clearly. They don't have the Word of God. They don't believe in the Word of God even when they hear it. But as Jesus comes with authority with the Word of God, life begins to spring forth. Change begins to happen because they see a demonstration of this authority. They're hearing authority. They're hearing it spoken. It's coming with great power to their minds and hearts. But now... They watch it take place and they're seeing it happen right before their eyes. Profound effect. But secondly, so Jesus has authority over the powers of Satan, but he also has authority over sin. And I want to draw this out a little bit here. Because all sickness, all demonic power comes from sin. It comes from the fall. In all that Jesus was dealing with, He's dealing with the effects of sin. Marred humanity. is We're all marred. It's pervasive. We talk about the doctrine of total depravity, which R.C. Sproul later went on to define as, in a little bit better term, I think, radical depravity. Meaning, we're not all as bad as we could be, but every bit of us is affected by sin. All of us. Everything within us has been affected by sin. Not just our souls, but our bodies. It radically spreads completely through our entire being. Nothing is left unaffected. So Jesus comes to restore God's authority, God's kingdom. This is good news because it means in Christ, He's dealing with our biggest problem, and that is sin. You talk about, you think about all the problems you got in your life. Let me tell you, the one problem you can just say without a doubt is your biggest problem is the fact that sin dwells in our lives and it affects our lives. Mark chapter 2, we'll see in just the next week or two, we're going to read the story and we're going to be talking about the paralytic that was dropped down through the ceiling. Jesus is teaching in a home somewhere and his friends bring a paralytic man and he's laid on a pallet and they, they open the roof up as we are talking here about Jesus' power over sin. And they open the roof and they drop this paralytic down. And as he lands there in front of Jesus, Jesus does something quite amazing. And it, it blows the minds of the people that are there. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, 
Think about the impact of those words. Well, here's the impact it had on the people that were there. <laughs> they start mumbling and complaining among themselves. Whoa, wait a minute. Who can proclaim forgiveness of sins but God alone? Okay, so without getting it, they get it. <laughs> That's right. Nobody can proclaim forgiveness of sins except God alone. And so they're complaining about Jesus. And so Jesus then begins to take attack with them. And he says to them at this point, So tell me, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? If I were to heal this man, would that, would that be a greater thing or a lesser thing than forgiving of sins? Where, where does that fit in your context? He's saying to them. And ultimately, Jesus says this, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth, authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. And so he does, right there in their presence. Now I submit to you, prior to ever walking, that man was radically changed by the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. I submit to you that as when Jesus said that, listen, let me, let me ask you, have you ever, in your own testimony, do you remember when you came to faith in Christ and you remember that fact, that reality struck you? I'm forgiven. Everything that separated me from God, every sin that I've ever committed, past, present, or future, everything that's ever happened in my life that brought dishonor to God, I'm forgiven. Do you remember the effect in your soul? Oh, listen, as a pastor, I've heard many people say many different things. I remember the effect in my soul as a young youngster in church when I made that commitment of my life and I recognized even as a young, young person, I was a sinner. And when, when I gave my heart to Christ and when I re responded to Him, my heart was changed. I, I felt different. Something had happened in my heart that I knew had changed. That is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That is the most important supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. My guess is the guy wasn't even thinking about getting up and walking. He was so thrilled with what had just happened in his life. And yet then Jesus heals him and raises him up. He has authority to forgive sins. Jesus became that sin offering for us. He has authority both to forgive them and heal the effects of sin by laying down his life. Listen, the most profound manifestation of Jesus' authority is the forgiveness of our sins. That's the real supernatural effect of the gospel. But we see here in this passage, Jesus goes on to exercise authority even over sickness. So we see immediately, again, the word immediately, immediately, Mark says immediately, and he transitions from this public scene to a private scene where they walk into Peter's house and they bring him over to his mother-in-law who's laying on a couch, sick with a fever. And Jesus, all it simply says is Jesus just grabbed her by the hand, lifted her up, the fever's gone, she's completely healed, and she begins to serve. serve Jesus served the disciples. What a picture 
of God's power. It's not even, I mean, it's not even any pretense. There's, there's no show. There's no, I say unto thee. <laughs> he just reaches, grabs her hand, and lifts her up instantly. The authority of Jesus brings complete healing and deliverance. Sickness, disease, broken lives, mental illness, anger, rage, addictions, all of these things have their roots in one thing, sin. Beginning from Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God and rebelled against His authority, that sin took hold and caused death in mankind. Immediately, sin caused death in Cain, and he responded in pride and anger to his brother, and immediately there's death and murder on the scene. And all kinds of further rebellion. The law was given to us to show how serious sin is and show us the effects of sin and sickness and disease in our lives. I was reading this week in, in my daily Bible reading, and it just so happens that I'm reading in the book of Leviticus. And if any of you read through the Bible on a regular basis, you know, you, if you're like me anyway, if you're as unspiritual as I am, you get to the book of Leviticus and you go, okay, take a deep breath. We'll get through this. It'll take me a couple weeks, but hey... We'll be through Leviticus so we can get on to the good stuff, you know. And, and, and I was in that place again, so reading along. And, and I was reading about all these health issues in Leviticus. And it just goes on and on about health and about what do you do about someone that's got a sickness or a disease or leprosy or something like that. And what do you do? And they have to go through this cleansing. And, they go, and it just goes on and on with all these things. And then it goes on from sickness and disease to safety issues like what about if your house has a problem with it. And what do you do if your house has a problem? You have to bring in the priest and the priest has to go through the house and check it all out and he has to go through it all and have to figure out what's going on here and you remove sections of the wall and all kinds of stuff like this. And I'm finding myself thinking again, yet again, all right, Lord, why, why am I reading this? What's the significance of this? And I don't, I'm sure it wasn't the first time, but I noticed this. At the end of every one of those those issues that were brought up. He talks about the need for a sin offering. And I thought, that's why it's here. That's why Leviticus is here, is to help us realize how serious sin is. Sin kills. Sin brings destruction. Sin brings sickness into our lives. It did from the beginning. And they all required sin offerings and that's what Jesus was here proclaiming but he's doing it now through healing sickness because he is the offering for sin he brings healing he has authority to bring healing and now we see in the final verses 32 and 33 and on we see that it, it says at evening at the sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons the whole city it says came together. And it says they came together to the door. I'm presuming that's Peter's house, his door. That's where Jesus was. It's at sundown because this was a Sabbath and people can't go out on the Sabbath. So they have to wait for sundown. And the silly reality of the whole scribe thing I was talking about earlier is that the scribes had broken it down into detail saying, well, the, the sun's, the day's not over until 
the sun's not just down, but you have to be able to see at least three stars in the sky for it to be officially over. I mean, it's like these people are being very diligent, but they're waiting till sundown. But when sundown comes, they are plowing into the doorway and they want Jesus. And it says Jesus begins to heal them and begins to exercise power over sickness in their lives. Heals, he says, many of them. It doesn't say all of them. Doesn't say all the demon possessed were delivered. But he's displaying his authority over human affliction, over spiritual oppression once again. Jesus even later exercises authority over the natural world by calming the seas. And the disciples were just blown away by that happening. This is why we should exercise faith for healing. This is why you and I should have faith to believe that God is going to work and heal people. This is why it's important to us. It doesn't mean that everyone will be healed. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But guess what? Lazarus died. (laughs) All he just faced death again. Many people were healed. But listen, they just faced death. They just died. They're not going to live forever. It doesn't matter in one sense whether you're healed or not. The reality is we're all going to die. That's why the most important thing about us is the forgiveness of sins. But when he does heal physically, he's simply doing it to remind us that the real power is authority to forgive sins and for us to partake in that ministry with him, to have faith, to believe that Jesus' power and authority over sickness extends to today. And we can trust him and believe him. Finally, we come to his deserved authority. Jesus deserved authority. And what I mean by that is he deserves the authority he has. And he deserves our worship and praise as a result of that. Jesus said in John 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Listen to this. I have authority to lay it down and authority to to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. This is the authority of Jesus also. He has authority to lay His life down on our behalf. And by doing that, He has won for Himself people who are called together. You people here today called together as those who have received the authority, the the, the express reality of the authority of Jesus in your own life. Authority to lay it down on the cross. Authority to take it up again in the resurrection. He delivers us. And we come with complete submission and acknowledgement of His authority. What's the result of the cross? Well, the result of the cross, when we get to Matthew chapter 28, is Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. All authority is given to me. He now, through the power of the cross and the power of the electing purpose of God in his life, is given all authority. But what does he say immediately after that? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now, go. You. He's looking at his disciples. Now, Go in that authority and preach the gospel. 
The gospel is now complete. It is clear what Jesus has done. The finished work of the cross has been accomplished. And now they're to go with this authority. But listen, this authority, when you go with this authority, it's a supernatural authority. You're going with a message that produces a supernatural work. In other words, the supernatural becomes a natural part, not just of Jesus' life, but of yours, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed through you. Is the supernatural natural to you? Well, here's how I can prove that. Just look around you. People gathered together who could otherwise were called by Jesus, by Paul, spiritually dead, are now gathered together, having been awakened by the power of the Spirit, having been forgiven of their sins, and brought together as the people of God, as the body of Christ, together to serve His purpose on the earth. That is supernatural. You know, if (laughs) most of us are used to each other the way we are. So most of us did not know each other before we became a Christian. But how many times have you heard somebody said, oh, listen, if you had known me, if you had just known what I was like. Now, listen, I, I was a nice guy. Sorry. I, I just, I was, a, I was a, a child raised in the church. I was a nice guy. In fact, one of my friends, I've said this before, but one of my friends always used to say, Lynn, you would have been the nicest guy in hell. It's like, I was a nice guy, but I came to the realization that I was as black as it could be in the light of God's holiness. But there's a lot of you out there with testimonies that you should not only not be here today, you should probably be in prison. (laughs) There's a whole lot of, of things going on around here that we could say, the grace of God is made manifest Forgiveness of sins has come. And now here you sit, worshiping the one who deserves your worship. You're like the paralytic. You're sitting there aware. My sins have been forgiven. Now Jesus says, go into the world. Take that message. If I could have the worship team come as we close today. So Jesus has authority that is declared. It's demonstrated in His power over Satan, over sin, over sickness. Nothing ambiguous here about the power and the authority of Jesus. And now He's calling us to go in that same authority, going into all the world to represent Him and all His authority. He has captured your heart, folks. He has revealed Himself to you in His Word. He has delivered you from Satan, sin, and sickness. And if that's not the case today, if you'd be sitting here and there'd be anybody sitting here today that's never bowed their knee to Jesus, never responded to the authority, His authority in your life, then I say to you today, bow your knee to Jesus. Receive what He did for you on the cross. Receive the forgiveness of sins that will change your life radically. And we're called to go. We're called to go and watch Him work in other people's lives. 
watching him transform their lives. I think back to Melanie last fall, our transgender friend who came to faith in Christ. Listen, folks, if there had been someone, I would have thought, I, I just, I don't know if I'd have faith for someone in that situation who'd been for, through the entire process. And, and yet, here she was, expressing faith in Christ and full of joy because of the forgiveness of sins. That's the effect God wants to have in your life on those that are around you. Healing, physical healing. Folks, we've seen it here in this church. I could list down for you the cases of cancer that we've seen healed, not just because they did chemo, but because God supernaturally intervened and the doctors were going, I don't get it, but that, that, was, that was real. God wants to use you to touch people's lives. He wants to demonstrate His power yet again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to see people delivered from the power of Satan. He wants to see people set free from bondages in their life. He wants to see you freed from anything that holds you back. This is the God, the Jesus, that we serve. And we are called to go. Go into all the world and see the supernatural become a natural part of our lives and who we are.